Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to a, a triple strength after party. It's not just after party for episode seven and eight, but also for uh, issue number one of Slam. Slam. <laughs> JTP XXX. <laughs> Hold on. Wait a second. Brandon, explain that. So you know like in cartoons where they have like a alcohol bottle that has like three X's on it because it's triple strength? Well, that's a that's a much lighter joke. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not I was going more nasty. in the girls, girls, girls direction. <laughs> I'm I'm recording this completely nude. I, you're just going to have to trust me. <laughs> oh, God, we had to turn the cameras off. No, no, turn them back on. I, <laughs> no. I thought that was the point. <laughs> uh, why don't we move to a, a giant rabbit or a small rabbit? Let's talk about January, please. A regular sized rabbit. So small. <laughs> the snowshoe hare is only 50 centimeters long. So he oh. is only that tall. So he's like a foot and a half, two feet tall. He's just very adorable. Adorable. That's still tall enough to like reach doorknobs and, and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he can jump as well. He's been doing this for a while. So he uh, definitely knows how to use his little rabbit paws, his little <laughs> little beans to open doors and stuff. Yeah, of course. So cute. Little rabbit beans. So sweet. I still remember the first time that I unveiled this to you. And I'm so glad that this happened on microphone because something that I wish happened more was you guys reacting to the wild shit that happens here. Even when I <laughs> revealed Chad back in campaign one, you were like, okay, so so what do we do next? How do we get out of the mansion? And I'm like, there is an ooze talking to you guys. So I very much appreciate that you're all like, excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> Pardon? You've learned that we react best to cute things as opposed to giant oozes. And so now you know how to get Are you saying reactions. that Chad is not cute? I mean, I didn't exclaim at just the introduction of another regular human NPC. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I think part of it, too, is like, you know, this is a very modern campaign and we're in the real world and not a fantasy setting. So I expect to come across an ooze in a fantasy setting. I don't expect to come across a talking rabbit butler in a superhero setting. True. <laughs> I mean, you should. Talking rabbit butler. You're just making it sound cool back to me. I'm like, man, I wish I had a talking rabbit butler. That sounds great. Eric, two very important questions. One, what color suit? As I said in the episode, January wears like a blue, blue suit. Love it. And with gold bow tie and little white rabbit shirt. So cute. Second important so question. Cute. Is gold bow tie patterned or just solid gold? Um, I think there's like a... Subtle uh, polka dot, subtle, subtle polka, polka dot. dot, subtle. I do like the gold, yeah, the gold on gold polka dot. I was thinking, um, I guess the the word escapes me. It's like the the wide checkerboard. It's not a checkerboard, like it, a gingham. N- n- yeah, like or maybe not like, or um, just like has the paneling in it. Like it looks like a tile floor. Hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sure, like a buffalo check type thing. No, it's not like a check. It's like, this doesn't matter. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) there is a subtle pattern on the bow tie. (laughs) It's up to your imagination which pattern. (laughs) Get in the comments and tell me what pattern it is. But no, January is fine, everyone. Don't worry. I was doing a lot of upstate New York research, and I actually started looking at like the flora and fauna of up there, especially as... You know, we're going to be dealing with the different seasons, and we've talked about that a little bit. And I saw that snowshoe hares are, like, mildly endangered in upstate New York. And definitely uh, they're one of the animals that 
changes their fur color depending on what season it is. So snowshoe hares are brown during the summer and white during the winter for, you know, camouflage reasons. So I thought it was interesting because, you know, this is an upstate sort of game and everyone who lives there have been here for a while. I did like the idea that Dr. Morrow takes things into her own hands and be like, what if endangered rabbit butler? <laughs> <laughs> but but what if? But, but what if I did that? And now January is a part of her crew. I mean, I, I love January. I think uh, January is incredibly self-aware. <laughs> and I, had, I just had so much fun being January. Also, listening back to it and hearing the initial hair joke I made when Amanda said Aggie O'Hare, I was just like, I'm so glad I prepared. And, this, <laughs> and I knew that this was going to happen. It was, it was delightful for me. That was very good. It was very, very good. I think all of you have taken a shy to January, though. I really... Oh, yes. Nice. We love January. Yeah. If I could play this campaign as January from now on, I would, Eric. <laughs> just have, back like, of character. Yeah, Milo on rails for the rest of the campaign. I meant more like when Milo dies and, you know, <laughs> inevitably. Well, now I have to kill Milo, so I'm ready to be January. It's a shame. <laughs> Just to get in my head also for eight as well, I think I didn't do a great job as setting up the infrastructure of campaign one as a nice place to be. The speaker was knowledgeable and cold but like cold in a very like ethereal sort of way. And because of like Greg was there and all of the, the people, it just like I really wanted there to be some sort of relationship building here. And Dr. Morrow has followed a similar vein. I think there are large differences between the speaker and Dr. Morrow, as we'll see and hopefully we'll explore. But I did want to kind of build out the world around her a little bit more. So I think that Des and January mean a lot to me as people for you to bounce off with and are also like obviously not governmentally and in the in the larger world, but like of equal stature and can help you in this hub of using the mansion as a hub and something that you'll end up needing and using and hopefully working with. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's easier to see somebody as a person um and to trust them when you see the people that they trust and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a good lead in to our other January questions. Uh, Joey asks, does January know I'll die for him? I think so. Yes, January <laughs> does know. Cotton asks, what hey, is can you just like not be weird for a second? <laughs> I know it's on the internet and you're not doing it in front of me, but can you just not? Cotton asks, what is January's favorite pastime? Bocce. Oh, so <laughs> cute. Pan asks, does January like his job or does he just figure it would be hard to get a job elsewhere? Is January legally a person? <laughs> oh, oh, good. Ooh, I, I, can we go back to those other questions? Like what January's favorite things to do is? <laughs> um, I think it's complicated. We haven't really explored a lot of what happened and why January is the way that they are. But, you know, like... What I always think that Dr. Morrow, when she does something, she thinks that she's doing the best thing possible. Sometimes you look at an animal and you're like, I wish you could just, ex you, I wish you could just talk to me and I could give you what you want. <laughs> and I think Dr. Morrow was like, I could do that. And then that's what happened. Uh, I think January does feel very close to Dr. Morrow. And I feel like, I don't know how the awakening, <laughs> the complications of giving life to a creature, <laughs> intelligence to a creature is a little complicated, but I feel like they do have a good relationship and Dr. Morrow trusts January to be their assistant. And as we know from so many movies and television shows, the assistant is just as important as the person that they're working for. So January, uh, it's a real like um, Alfred situation. 
here, mm. except instead of being okay. British, they're uh, snowshoe hair. <laughs> Michael Kane. Just imagine Michael Kane as a rabbit. Yeah, that's what I was imagining. Is that great? No, that's good. That means you were ahead of me. I'm so glad we're synced like okay. that. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, from a mechanics perspective, January was what, like an animal companion that was awakened? Yeah, if like to really kind of do that, yeah. Do they have like, like, I guess you probably can't tell us this yet, but like, I assume they have like stats and stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't have the stats on hand, but they are a full NPC. Like they're not just a rabbit yeah. <laughs> in the way that Tuna is not just a cat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the way that I am just a druid. Yes, <laughs> yes my love, my exactly. truly just a druid. Speaking of bat caves, Hamilton Otto would like to know how far down does Dr. Morrow's house go and where is the lab? Me too. Me too. Man, it just goes down forever, guys. <laughs> Journey to the center of the it, earth. Style. It just goes. It it just keeps it just keeps going down. You know. I mean, it is located in the mountains, so there is a good you know two three thousand feet of elevation under Lake Town City. Mm. In my head, there's like five or six floors, but don't quote me on that. Um, but I mean, we did go. Is like one was the receiving floor, and two is the sleeping quarters, and three is where the study and all that stuff is, and then the kitchen is somewhere in there. You know, just use your imagination. It's as deep as you want. All of the floors are there. I mean, you're not going to build us out a detailed blueprint of Dr. Morrow's house? Well, then I don't get to ask you all what are random things that Dr. Morrow's doing in Dr. Morrow's <laughs> True. house. True. Which was truly my favorite part of episode eight when I'm just like, hey, what's in the kitchen? Yeah. I love that. Like, I, is that something you picked up just DMing for a while? Or is that something like an idea you picked up from online or something? Like bringing your characters to help build the immediate surroundings like that? Uh, I'm not really sure where I picked it up. I just kind of like doing it. There are a lot of things that I feel attached to, some t- characters usually, and I do feel attached to like making sure that the NPCs talk in a way that you all can respond to, which yeah. is why some of my favorite episodes are ones where we just kind of talk and we make decisions more so than actually like having conflicts. But like, I can't just populate a room hundred percent. Like I, I do want your input, especially because this is a fantastical place. I mean, we're talking about a kitchen. The thing that the four of us talk about all the time is food and alcohol, like all the time. <laughs> like the amount of food shows all of us watch is the entirety of Food Network. So I think like this particularly, I want to know your opinion. I personally don't know the worlds that your characters are inhibiting. So I want you to tell me what that is because... It is just like if you had the opportunity to create the community that you were in, you would do it in your own image. So as we come up and as you all do your favorite things, um, I want to do that. I mean, a really good example of that was Astros and the the bowling, the bowling <laughs> lanes. Right. Because it's like yeah. you want Brandon, you wanted that. And then Milo had a bowling place. And I'm like, so, Brandon, what does this look like? And that's something yeah. that I, I don't I don't feel like I need to put in there. And I obviously want your opinion. Yeah, I love it. It's just like a really great DM trick, I think, to make the players feel like they have a lot of input and say in the world without necessarily like changing the scope of the plot and stuff. It's smart. Thanks. I tried. And I think that's a good segue into the way we closed out episode eight with everybody's memories. And I know that was something that uh, a lot of the audience in the Discord really enjoyed. And I loved it, too, as players. Um, so, Julia Brennan, how did you guys feel about that? I, I know that for me, being prompted by that question, it just sort of came to me. You know, like I didn't have to ponder for a long time. It it felt very, um, very easy for me to kind of play out that scenario. But what was it like for you two? I think it's super fun. Yeah. Again, going back to that, to what I was just saying, like I really, that was one of my favorite things that we did in the first season. Um, And I remember specifically when 
because it was fairly early on in the first season when Eric asked us that question. That was that was one of the times I was like, oh fuck, like you can. This is how you can DM. Like this is what <laughs> DMing could be. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of my favorite things, and especially I really like the sort of like feedback mechanism that uh, we go through with Eric, where it's like, here's a nugget, or especially with me, because I'm um, my one of my like weaker points is is coming up with like detailed worlds. Um, I can get sort of like the overarching stuff, but like I can feed a little nugget of like, oh, well, maybe you know, maybe his dad had a conversation when he was a kid and he loves comic books, but then Eric can flesh out, um, take that little nugget and turn it into something like really poignant and meaningful. And I, I really love that. It's one of my favorite things to do on the show. Yeah. I really like being prompted for questions about my character's past. I always feel really nervous about it in the moment because I feel like on the spot and I'm like, Oh, what I suddenly forgotten everything that I've established about this character. <laughs> but the moment that like you finally get to the point where you can start telling that story, I, I absolutely love that. And I love being uh, prompted to do so. I will say after playing for a while, I'm starting to understand the way that all of you like to play and how I get the best stuff out of you. Uh, Brandon, I just ask you questions outside of the recording session and then you tell me them and then you forget you did it so i'm surprising <laughs> you with your own answer i love that that's real memento disease there's nothing i love more especially because now you're on the west coast when i have a random thing in the middle of the night it's like a, a, an actual fine time to dm you so it's like it's midnight my time it's 9 p.m your time and it's like so like what uh, what does milo like to eat in the morning and you're like oh well, this 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 and then, you're, and then you just totally forget and then i'm like oh so you know when you go to the when you go to a diner and you order your omelet and you're like how did you know that and i'm like well <laughs> um jewel with Julia, it is just about a lot of prompts, and it's about just putting something in front of you, because you always just take the thing in front of you. You can't ignore it, and I love that. Nope. I, I just pick impulsive characters, which I think is my problem, is because I'm not a particularly impulsive person, so when my characters are impulsive, it's like I'm living that kind of weird fantasy, where it's like, oh, what if I did just act on everything, and the consequences were only in-game and not in real life? It's so good, though, because it always it's always, like, reasonable. I think it's mm -hmm. it's very interesting. And then for Amanda, I, I feel like you and I always take a lot of time and talk about your character a lot. I feel like I know the most about Aggie than I do about any of my characters or Val or Milo. So like, or myself. I, or me. <laughs> yeah, or Derek, my play, my and DM. <laughs> well, Derek's been here the whole time. You just haven't seen him yet. DMPC is a very good abbreviation. Oh, that's very good. I like it a lot. <laughs> that's that's like bopping around uh, RPG internet. I did not come up with that. Uh, nice. But I feel like I know a ton about Aggie. Like I all I know all of your siblings. I know what they do. I know their jobs. I know your parents. I probably know how everyone interacts. Yeah, I just keep asking you questions. And I mean, it helps that we live together so I can just ask you a question and then write it down. But I think it also, this is prompting, but then you kind of like fan fiction it out. But because it's a D&D <laughs> podcast you're doing the actual thing so it's just yeah. like it's good i also think aggie is way closer to me than um inara was in terms of my biography and instincts and stuff um so it's it's very easy for me to think of how she would react uh and to give you details on like endless numbers of irish catholic siblings like i i, I got that 
Oh, what are the name of all of your siblings? Aggie, Danny, Cassie, Regan, Ryan, Kelly, Quinn. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, I think the internet broke up. What was it, Amanda? Aggie, Danny, Cassie, Regan, Ryan, Kelly, Quinn. Uh, the, the emphasis, again, really, really important. <laughs> to that point, I do think that your family is very similar to Aggie's family, so that's incredibly helpful for me playing the siblings. Just um, reading me to mm. filth in our every interaction. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just know the people in your life who are Aggie's family, so it's just very helpful and very fleshed out. So to that to that end, I mean, I have a lot to work with, honestly. And as much, I actually didn't know that was going to happen. I and I would love to talk about episode eight a little bit. This I had set this up, and the entire time, and during the first eight, nine, ten episodes of this campaign, I was like, this is always going to be the central question here. Are they going to be like spies? And is it going to be a, this type of campaign? Maybe something more, not Suicide Squad necessarily, but something that's like, I'm going to keep my superpowers on the low, and when I'm called to a mission, I'm going to do it. Much like, I guess, a spy movie, like your 007 when you're not actually doing the spy stuff. Or we're going to have like an actual capital S Marvel-ass superhero campaign and I was always waiting for this and I really hope that I didn't push you one way or another um, and Dr. Morrow I think is very much like a know-it-all truly and it's my uh, ability to convey uh, the mechanics of the world and what she wants and what might happen in one way or another but I would really love to know like how did that conversation go both when I laid that out in seven and then as we actually did it in eight and I think that this was very nicely cut down because we talked about, a, I answered a lot of yeah. questions and I had a lot of like things I wanted to tell you that didn't end up in eight that really kind of uh, cemented what uh, we were going to do. Yeah, I feel like Brandon can speak more to like the conversation that got cut versus what actually ended up in the audio. But I think we, I think we established on mic pretty well, like, I mean, for me, at least, it was like, I really thought that, like, Val would not be interested whatsoever in the costume superhero thing. Yeah, me too. I walked in thinking that I definitely wanted to do the stealth superhero situation. And just in conversation with Dr. Morrow, like, I think Brandon made it flow very well. But I felt like in in the session, I was genuinely wrestling with it and, like, genuinely asking those questions. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I actually, I didn't cut a whole ton. I cut... Because there was a lot of us literally, like, genuinely like thinking silently to ourselves about what we wanted to do. <laughs> um, and then there was a lot of like uh, just uh, repeated like, hey, can you explain and expound on this more um, that I cut? But like the, the meat of the thing was still there. And I think um, I tried to give everyone a a like a chunk of, of statement about like how they were feeling and how they're feeling about their character. And yeah, like I don't think in the moment I quite understood the quite the quandary that was there of like stealth versus non-stealth but there's also the superhero that's like x-men where it's like just your face in public versus mm. a mask yes that was really the big question you were all wrestling with i remember because val said i don't want someone to think i'm a superhero while yeah. walking a dog and i'm like right. yes. dr morrow was like put on a mask like <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> and there's a little bit of like superhero universe hand waving in that like, I was thinking this as a person, you know, as like a six foot tall, burly lady with red hair. How many of those could there be running around Lake Town City? But like, A, it's a very big city. And B, you know, we're having, I think it's fair to say, a, a tiny bit of hand waving in that we as superheroes won't necessarily like need to do a stealth check every time we're outside the house in costume for somebody to tie it back to our real identities. Yeah, I think that we need that for the genre. I will say that the three of you are decidedly not that, like, public figures. I know that Aggie is, but we've established that Historic Lake Town 
is not actually that big or important in the larger scheme of the city. I know Milo is technically a public figure, but like you work at a museum, like how many right. people will recognize you and put two and two together? And like Val, you literally just do odd jobs. So mm-hmm. it's I do think that there is an ability for citizens to be like I don't think people would be able to put two and two together. What I was seeing, and I think was actually really interesting, the three the three of you responding to the bank problem was that if you were not covered up, that is 100% what would happen. But I think that once you mm-hmm. put the persona on top of it, it's like, we can't do what happened at the bank again. Like, we're not doing that again. That people can just, like, take a photo or it's on, like, a bank security footage or all of that. Like, we're not doing that again. But how are you going to do it? Are you going to literally hide? Are you just going to hide your your actual self behind a mask? Right. Right. I mean, Milo could because, you know, he was able to not show his self on the, the tape of the bank heist <laughs> really well. So, like, he's shown that he's capable of that. But for the other two's yeah, sake, okay. I think it's important that we wear masks. <laughs> And shout out to Pen of Smiting for the incredible art, particularly of the moment where Aggie's being confronted by the uh, the newspaper salesperson. <laughs> Just like, wow, I I didn't know anything about this city. I guess there, I've <laughs> I've been loving those comics, those cartoons, those uh, drawings so, so much. They're incredible. I think my favorite thing is that they're capturing all of y'all's style so much. I'm like, yes, that is what Val looks like. That is how Aggie dresses. And Mickey, yeah. Mickey, the one who works at Hudson News, <laughs> in my head is the is the Hudson news is my favorite nbc one of my favorites just like being able to obviously bust your balls because they have control of bagels and coffee <laughs> and um we eric and i were in uh in upstate new york last week and we took pictures of all the places that had inspired uh locations in lake town city so we took a picture of the actual newsstand uh where where i get my rolls and coffee when i'm in that town uh which we can we can post <laughs> We'll just slightly edit the picture to display what it really should say on the sign. What are you talking about? Lake Town City's real. I saw a street <laughs> sign and I put it up. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's check out the Instagram, join the party pod. So I definitely want to know, how did you feel? Did you feel the weight of this changing? Because I had been anticipating this for so long. Were you just making a decision for your character or did you feel like this was cementing the campaign moving forward? So I feel like... I knew what I wanted to do going into the session, but I also knew that I would be swayed either way, depending on whether or not Val was convinced. And I think at the end of the day, Val was convinced because Val thought that like, hey, I have a gift. I have something that's special about me and being able to show that off, even if it's not being like, hey, I'm me, who is also a superhero, is something that I think really convinced them at the end of the day. Yeah, I also felt that like I knew the the like named superhero uh, route would be more interesting for the podcast. But in setting up the world together, we all had like very open conversations in our like session zeros about the fact that any version of powered people in a modern setting would be interesting to us. So I didn't feel as if like like you would have said if we had to do a certain route or in advance of the podcast, we would have all agreed if it like it had to be named superheroes with personas or nothing. Um, and that wasn't the case. So I, I felt a lot of freedom to choose what I thought was best for the character. Uh, and I I didn't expect my mind being changed that way. But um, I, I think that Dr. 
Dr. Morrow being, um, uh, how to put this, optimistic uh, and having a lot of resources um, swayed it. And I I don't know. I feel like I wanted to make the more interesting choice. And for Aggie, that was a little out of character. Um, but for me, that's that's what I want to do when presented with two equal options, you know? Yeah, I, I totally the same for me. I think like um, I did know in the moment that this was sort of like a, one of the defining moments of of the show so i wanted to make sure we we made the most interesting one as a as a player involved but i also think like for milo it was a genuine toss-up because like he, he wants to maintain anonymity because he is who he is um he likes you know showing people museum artifacts but not necessarily being on the cover of people magazine um <laughs> but at the same time like his heroes are all are on the cover of people magazine so like <laughs> I think it was genuinely a toss-up for him as a character. So either way, we would have gone. It would have been interesting for him as a character. That's true. You did just have your hero ask you if you wanted to put on tights and a cape. So I don't think that mm. Milo was going to say no at all. <laughs> exactly. Gotta love the proposal. It's weird that we're married, though. <laughs> yeah, Actually, weird. <laughs> this goes really nicely into a new segment I want to introduce. It's called, Remember When We Made These Good Jokes? <laughs> <laughs> I like this segment. Go ahead. We've recorded so far in advance, and also like, just like I totally black out when I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. I oh, yeah. do not remember yeah. what we do. So listening back to these episodes is actually very funny. We, in the beginning of seven, we talk about Doctor Morrow's memoir, where I do my favorite thing and actually oh, make you name yep. things. So I'm like, hey, Brandon, what's the name of Doctor Morrow's memoir? I wrote this down. Uh, you said, tomorrow is always just a day away. The life and times of Dr. Morrow. <laughs> and then we said, what's another way of saying that? And then you said, tomorrow is just today, but in the future. Very true. <laughs> it's not wrong. Then we also said, thinking about tomorrow, and then tomorrow with the two, and then days of future tomorrow. But that's the graphic novel version. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, my the, the other one that, Amanda, this was so funny, and our reoccurring joke that like Star Trek, you guys are Star Trek nerds, but not Dungeons and Dragons nerds. <laughs> it's Aggie telling Milo that he's locked in the hollow deck and he just needs to chill and wait for things to just kind of so deal. Good. Yep. So good. It's true. That was so funny. Um, in episode eight, we then say that canonically Richard Blaze lives in Lake Town City. He does. Yes, he does. Him and Al Gore have dinner parties all the time. That was difficult to cut around. Like the, the way we set it up was weird. And so, but I, I wanted to make sure so hard that it stayed in there. <laughs> It was around the plasma salamander, too, which was very good. Yeah. <laughs> I, for those of you who don't know who he is, Richard Blaze is like a Food Network star. He's a very popular chef. And he was on Top Chef for a while where he really hated himself. But then he got like yes. a really strong glow up. And now he's like very hip and looks incredibly good just from like a haircut and some glasses. Just like being rich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he also, his thing is like gastronomy. So he's one of the person who like pours uh, liquid nitrogen The molecular stuff. gastronomy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like he's a very like molecular gastronomy guy, but he's also like, he's like an attractive food scientist. <laughs> <laughs> he was so sad on Top Chef all the time. He was so down on himself. Amanda and I send this to each other all the time and we'll, we'll tweet this out, but there is a moment in Top Chef in the final where <laughs> where he does uh, uh, talking to the camera and he's like immediately when I make things I hate it and I hate everything I do <laughs> wait that's real <laughs> yeah yes. no it's real and Tony LaFaso who's in the finals with him is just like what the hell is wrong with you and he just like deadpans 
Yeah, it's like a very sullen screen cap. And it's it's a little duo that I just have on hand in my favorites album just for when I need it. So we'll we'll make sure Incredible. to put that on, uh, on Twitter. That's wild. Uh, and, and then the final joke, I liked how we just talked about Spy Kids a bunch with Des. <laughs> okay, I left the Fruit Loops joke in there. Um, that Amanda made. I don't. What is? That? I haven't seen Spy Kids. Is there a Fruit Loops reference? Yeah, yeah. There's like those creepy things. Hold on, I'll send. I, and I also googled it and couldn't find it in that specific phrasing. So it's called Floops Fooglies. What the fuck? <laughs> Hold on, Brandon. I'm sending it to you right now. Yeah, it's the villain in Spy Kids, and he like makes people into like candy thumbs. Um, and they're called Floops Fooglies. <laughs> Here. It's in the chat now. What? Oh my god, Julia, his name is Vegan Bloop. Yep. Yes, he is. Is that played by Alan Cumming? Oh, sure is. Oh yes, my god. <laughs> I wish I named one of Aggie's siblings Vegan now. That's very good. Damn. I will say Spy Kids has a lot of like really strong media ties because that's where Danny Trejo premiered the character of Machete. Machete, yeah. yes. Which is wild to me. Oh my god, this is incredible. 90s kids will know. <laughs> Tony 90s kids will know Floops Woogly. Oh no, I hate this. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> oh there it is. no. Oh no. To that, as Brandon is uh, writhing in horror, I do want to clarify something about Dez. In my head, Dez is a black man. Uh, he's older and he has a gruff voice, but when I said he had really long hair, in my head, he has like gray dreadlocks that are tied up but mm-hmm. still goes all the way down his back and to his butt. That was something someone tweeted at me that I did mention he was on a baton scholarship to Grambling. Yeah. And Grambling mm-hmm. is a h- historically black college with a very good football team. So in my head, uh, Des was a black man. That is something I wanted to clarify. I would like you to know that Val 100% would have been totally into Des. 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Just yeah. like he walked out and Val was like, excellent. You are You <laughs> yeah. are great. Everything about this. I feel like Aggie doesn't like committing to friendships where you do regular activities, but Aggie would a thousand percent commit to like a regular bar night with Des. Hundred <laughs> percent. So far, we have our NPC ranking of first we have January, and then Des, mm-hmm. and then Doctor Morrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then all the way at the bottom, Sorry, Sour Anthony. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, now I really want to see Des and Sour Anthony interact. I don't know how it would actually happen. I'm not exactly sure how it would happen. But when it does happen, I'm going to be very excited about doing those voices at each other. Incredible. Um, uh, Cotton asks in the Discord, what is Des's favorite invention that he's made? Oh, that's a good question. This was around the time that I was watching a lot of Full Metal Alchemist. So I think that Des worked on their own prosthetic and the fact that it is very like articulated and very strong and good. Like there's a lot of like pistons and like inner workings in that thing to make it as fully articulated. Like who knows if there's other stuff in there. We haven't really talked about it. We only saw it as hand. So uh, <laughs> so I think that Des is very proud of that. And that's probably like Mach 5 of Des' arm. That's cool. That's very cool. I love it. Des is very cool. So, Oh, the person who asked me if January was a chimera, like in Full Metal Alchemist, no, oh, that's no. not what happened. That's really messed Too up. Sad. January is a fine and happy rabbit lad. That's not what happened. So I just wanted to clarify, January is just an awakened rabbit. <laughs> Nothing terrible and untoward happened. Not a chimera. And uh, Thomas the DM on Twitter asks, does Dr. Morrow have more animal companions? Is February a giant dove? Is October a giant (laughs) spider who makes all of her clothes? Is December a buff bipedal reindeer who screams in Christmas carols? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> December is my favorite out of that list. Hot damn. Excellent world building. Uh, October exists. None of the other ones exist. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she she just like casually, like seemingly all women in their 50s has like all silk wardrobe. <laughs> mm, of course. <laughs> Obviously. I look forward to All moo-moos. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Eric. A lot of people are working from home now, and I think that the best possible thing to remember is that you can take a nap and no one will know. Ordinarily, you'd have to get under a desk or a you know, your cashier station or something, but now you can just nap and then blame it on your internet later and just be like, oh no, sorry, my internet was down, but really, you were snoozing. Welcome to the mid-roll. Just take a nap. Just do it. Oh, hello, and thank you to everybody who joined our Patreon in the last two weeks. Thank you for letting Amanda and I go take a vacation. It was very nice. It turns out Lake Town City is real. And thank you to our patrons, Colin, Bobby, Victoria, Shay, Chrissy, Jade, Kilachandra, Vota, and Joseph. We say it every week on all of our Multitude shows, but we are so grateful for each and every person who supports us on Patreon. All four of us are full-time podcasters, and that is due in large part to your support on Patreon especially as an independent collective trying to make it in a volatile industry doing a volatile time and we're not like karamo level famous being able to count on your support on patreon is crucial and as a thank you we produce a ton of bonus content like bloopers and bc backstories and a thriving and wonderful discord not to mention a full campaign's worth of bonus material from campaign one remember when we did all that stuff the robot was there and the teen with the skateboard Today is a great day to join us for as little as $5 a month on patreon.com slash join the party pod. And if you haven't updated your tiers, we did that like a while ago and you might not be getting rewards. So make sure to update your tiers. Hey, speaking of other things that you might not have heard of that are really cool. Did you know that Multitude is hosting a digital live show on July 30th? Well, Guess what? We are, and 25% of all sales are being donated to the Black Lives Matter Global Network. All Multitude hosts will be performing a mix of new segments and old favorites, and trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. We just ran through a little content rehearsal uh, a day ago, and it was really, really sick. So head on over to multitude.production slash digital live to buy your ticket. And if you can't make the live stream, you can still buy a ticket anyway because we'll send you a link to watch the recording afterwards. It's just going to be video on demand. Yo! So support a great cause and enjoy our patented podcast variety show at multitude.productions slash digital live. We are sponsored this week by BetterHelp, a secure online counseling service. They connect you with licensed counselors through their secure app, letting you message with your therapist and schedule live phone or video sessions. You can also message your counselor in between sessions if you're worrying about something or think of a topic you want to cover in your next call, because that's the thing that always happens when you're doing therapy. You're like, oh man, this really tough thing happened to me, but therapy is three days away. What am I supposed to do? Oh, I know. I can send them a little texty text and add a gift so they don't think it's actually that serious and it's kind of a joke when you think about it. BetterHelp wants to help you find the best therapeutic match possible. It's easy and free to switch counselors if you need to. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional counseling, with financial aid also available. You can get 10% off your first month of counseling by signing up at BetterHelp.com slash join the party. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash join the party for 10% off. 
your first month. That is better, like better than before. Help, like helping somebody out by bringing them a pie. Dot com, like the internet thing at the end of most, you know, websites. Slash join the party, like our podcast. And finally, we are sponsored this week by 20-Sided Store. Lots of you have been sharing pics of your hauls from online shopping with 20-Sided. And we gotta say, there are some very, very good clickety-clack dice rocks in stock there. So if you need dice, or you don't need dice, but you probably do need dice, because you always need dice, you're going to want to go to 20sidedstore.com. You can use the code JOINTHEPARTY for 20% off your online order. That is 20% off! More dice! You have no excuse not to get more dice! Go into your little goblin brain that wants shiny rocks and just buy more dice from 20-Sided Store. You gotta do it. That is 20, the full... Word, not the numbers, sidedstore.com. And now, let's get back to the after party. Paul asks in the Discord, Eric, why did you choose to focus on consumable and single-use items this time around as opposed to the longer-term items in the last campaign? And I'll add, is that a focus right now, or is that something you want to continue forward in the rest of the arcs? That's a good question. Uh, This was just the stuff that Des had on hand. And I think this is, like, to demonstrate that Dr. Morrow's, like, crew could help you out in this particular way. So I think that y'all can keep using this and Des can keep making them for you. But I would love to make some more stable items in the future. It didn't really come up. This really felt like a real origin story sort of thing in a way that Mm -hmm. I couldn't really get around. And we'll kick this into high gear when we get to the next arc. But I really felt like I had to set a lot of stuff up and be like... You use these, it is expendable, but I will say that there isn't a lot of resources in terms of consumable items. There's a lot of, like, magic items that you're attuned to, and it's a curse, and you're always with it all the time. So the fact that you can just, like, oh, I'm going to pop this gum and breathe fire or ice, I think is something necessary and maybe can build in kind of the mystique of whatever, as we get to what your actual superhero characters are. Really got to build your brand. Samich239 in the Discord asks, uh, Brandon, as a fellow bowler, what is Milo's handicap and what is his personal best? You can't see, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm clenching my teeth right now. Brandon starts Googling that. <laughs> this is my favorite thing about Brandon's characters is that he gives them interests that he doesn't have. And then he's like, <laughs> I When Brandon was still recording in the studio with us, I remember looking over and he had just like a bunch of Douglas Adams facts. I'm like, what? Are, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellow um, kids. <laughs> uh, Milo's handicap. Well, as we all know, something around 200 is common. <laughs> so probably like 204. Oh, oh Lord. Oh, okay. Man. All right. So oh, I think whatever you needed to be sandwich, I think you are the authority here. <laughs> I do. Yes. I do really like bowling. I just don't know anything about it. Like as a actual not sport. competitive bowling. Yeah. You're not in a league or no. anything. I wish yeah. I was. It'd be fun. I just would be embarrassed because I'm so bad. <laughs> My dad was a competitive bowler. What? So is mine. Listen, when you what? have nothing to do in Long Island slash Erie, Pennsylvania, what are you supposed to do? You go bowling. Do you guys exactly. think you're siblings? <laughs> yeah. Do you have the same dad? That would be weird. Listen, everyone in Merrick weird. is related to each other, so it's entirely possible. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Julia Lada asked on Twitter, is there a question that Val would not answer with? <laughs> I don't know. Fuck you is so versatile, you know? You can say it lovingly. You can say it angrily. 
any any question can be answered with fuck you if you try hard enough. <laughs> and Icono Cat also uh, asked on Twitter if Val is religious. I feel like maybe to a priest, Val might not say fuck you, but maybe maybe they would. Yeah, no, I don't think so. You, you gotta respect the, the priesthood. <laughs> Every time I say that, it's fucking hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think Val is like a non-practicing Catholic, like someone who was raised in the church and definitely was something that was instilled in them. But Val is not at church every Sunday, probably goes for like the the high holidays and stuff like that, like Christmas mass at midnight, that kind of thing. But definitely not like there every Sunday. Eric, Jennifer asked via email, is the Night of Mirrors an Easter egg for Don Quixote? Yes, it is. Good job. Mm. Books are good. (laughs) <laughs> Can you say more? I actually never read that in the course of my uh, extremely long Yeah, I was going to say explain, studies. please. Yeah, Don Quixote, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read it, and I had to do a bunch of research on Wikipedia, and shout out to Misha Stanton for reminding me that this existed. Thanks, Misha. Misha! The Night of Mirror, I mean, everything in Don Quixote is like a metaphor for something else. So the Night of Mirrors is like literally a knight who rides with shiny armor, and it's supposed to be like, the armor is a reflection of society. So it's kind of like a person who is like misguided and wants to, and like takes it upon themselves to be the mirror of the evils and ways and all that stuff. So uh, it was a reference to that. So, I mean, what we know of the Night of Mirrors took it upon themselves to be a, a vigilante and clean up something. I mean, we maybe they know more. They're going out there and riding on their motorcycle and doing stuff. So very, it's very similar. As we like to say. Who can say? Who can really Who say what can they're doing? say? Sarah had something to say on Twitter about our sort of headcanon here. I'm sorry, but if you don't think Dr. Morrow doesn't have one of those ice makers that make teeny tiny ice cubes, you're wrong. Yes, correct, correct. Wait. Crunchy ice. Oh, like like crushed ice? Yeah, cr- no, crunch ice. This is a funny thing I wanted to ask Brandon about. <laughs> So we go into Dr. Morrow's office and you see the soda machine that gives you like whatever things. And Uh and you're like, oh, I'm going to try it. I'm going to get a refreshing cold drink. And then Milo immediately goes, "Uh, I want a hot drink. (laughs) Yeah. What was that a reference to? It's what Captain Picard always orders. And so that's why I what you didn't hear in the in the edit was that I had to do a retake because I I swapped one of them and I was like, I'm going to get so much shit for this. (laughs) So I had to retake it and make sure I got it right. But Next Gen is the best Star Trek. I've been watching Star Trek since I was like four or five. And Next Gen was. Oh, hell yeah. Next Gen, I think, was the one that was actually airing when we were growing up. Um, That and uh, the one with Janeway. And so those are the two I started with. Um, And so like Picard was like my father figure growing up because he was he was cool mm-hmm. and collected and was bald and it was he was a cool guy love that man this is actually secretly a star trek podcast just get used to it <gasps> yep in further world building questions ali asked via email um in ltc with all of the teens and kids being affected by the incident did animals and pets also get affected as well is that why milo can see tuna and could monty be a real thing that was caught in the incident Ooh. Ooh. is this a who in can my head canon totally um, and that's why when we were talking about uh, monsters in the building the town lore, um, that really struck me as a thing that could potentially be possible. Like one of my touchstone series as a kid was The Simpsons and seeing the three eyed fish blinking in the in the river always kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. This is related to something Hamilton Otto asked in the Discord. Are there other people that are affected by the Delta radiation that weren't contained? Maybe people who've been hiking or some other passers through or people who were on their first or last time vacation that weren't part of the quarantine. So, yeah, I mean, my touchstone for this particular incident was the first episode of Static Shock, the TV show, where there's just like that big chemical explosion and then whoever was there got hit and then got powers from it. So I think that we don't necessarily know who has powers and who don't because of how murky it is of like parentage and who was around. So I think to all of this end, we don't necessarily know what the effect of Delta radiation is. So all of these things are still on the table Uh, to what I can say is who can say it is something I've been thinking about. Cool. 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 Asta asked, uh, Golden Knight, Knight of Mirrors, any relation? Is there some kind of secret Knights of the Round Table hero force coming up? Ooh. Who can say? <laughs> who can say? Who can I, say? I think uh, it is something to think about that people who see themselves as superheroes also see themselves as knights and righting wrongs and running around. So that's what I was thinking. But I also was thinking about hockey teams. So yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was on me. I, I, I came up with that. I really wanted to fill that in for, for Milo's history check on that. And uh, that did come from the top of my head. Uh, but it yeah. was something that, to that end, uh, we also don't know if the Golden Knight had powers because everything that I said there was mechanical, um, that they had like mm-hmm. rocket boots and stuff. So uh, that's kind of up in the air. That was one of my favorite moments because, one, because Eric totally improvised that. And then <laughs> Julia and I's <laughs> interaction back and forth with the hockey team was, it makes me laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> They named the what? They named them after a different hockey team in a different place. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Your delivery on that line, Julia, was just like, oh, perfection. Speaking of kind of process and improvisation, Callista asked in the Discord, uh, Eric, how do you create landscapes and improv scenes that you hadn't thought about or planned? And for the players, where do your jokes come from? <laughs> <laughs> Well, when I was growing up, I had two siblings that were very mean, and I was the youngest, so I had to learn how to defend myself via jokes. (laughs) Mine's also a defense mechanism, yo! Yo, mine's also a defense mechanism, yo! Yo! Me too, I cover up all my insecurities with humor. (laughs) Is that that the answer y'all want to stay safe? Yeah, that's the answer to the question. I just learned to say funny things. I don't know. Here's here's a weird thing of how I see my creative process, especially in the way that the world is terrible and we're all kind of like in our own little bubbles here. When I play Dungeons and Dragons and also when we do a lot of like creative, just like I do building of stuff, whether it's like podcasts or, or whatever, I feel like my brain is like an engine and I just kind of like turn it on and then it just like starts the making of things, you know? <laughs> it's like, this is the Make-A-Matron and it makes things. And like that's I turn new, it that's on. That's your new nickname, Dr. Make-A-Matron. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and I turn it on and it's just like the way that my brain functions and then after I'm done, I need to like go lay down and like in front of an air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> like it truly, that's just truly how I see my brain and how I create and make things. So it's just something that's embedded in me. I've always liked telling stories and I've gotten really aware, especially from watching and listening to a lot of D&D media and just like the way that people improvisationally create worlds. I'm just like, all right, let's, let's put, you got to throw in details and then everything kind of builds on top of each other. Everything for my improv uh, of D&D is just cause and effect. It's like, if this happens, then this has to happen, and then this has to happen. Like, these things need to exist, whether we're talking about a fight or a, a, or a room or a city or the 
laws of physics or the the uh, story building laws that we have uh, in place. Yeah, my favorite. Um, well, one you can definitely see Eric co- go into Doctor Makematron mode, which is in- which is fun <laughs> and interesting. <laughs> it, first of all, it's Makematron three thousand. Please, sorry, Doctor Makematron mm, three thousand. Of course. Um, and like the thing that really impresses me most, just to like brag on Eric for a little bit, is like it's so incredibly difficult to improvise where what you're improvising is the perfect balance of like detailed and specific, but those detail specifics have relevance to the larger world or to the larger plot or to the larger idea. And like, I can only improv like huge overarching things. And some people can only improv details. And when you just have details, it just like is like random and random humor is not always funny, but Eric has this really innate ability just to like pull specific details that then, have meaning to the larger whole, which is very impressive. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think the best thing to know about Dungeons and Dragons and DMing and this kind of creative work that we do is just like knowing what your strengths are and leaning in it. So as long as you all don't get bored of me coming up with worlds and you talking to characters and stuff, like <laughs> maybe I don't have the greatest accents and voices, but like I will be able to create people for you to talk to in front of you. So I just really try to lean into that. Dez's uh, character voice, by the way, was new and really, really interesting and engaging. Yeah, me too. That's actually a good uh, a good segue. We could probably do a full after party about Slam, and I hope this is not our last visit to this universe because it was so much fun. Um, but how did you in go LB, about in LBB <laughs> Lagoon Burrowberg? How did you go about world building for a one shot versus for our campaign? Just in brief, kind of how was your prep different? Honestly, I left a lot up to you guys. I think it was really, really fun for me to just ask y'all questions. And I'm like, for a one shot, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't feel as tied to it. So I'm just like, hey, what does your office look like? What does the city look like? How do you interact with each other? And it was just like us messing around and having a good time. So the fact that I get to ask y'all questions, I mean, the fact that the office was on top of a sushi place was incredibly (laughs) funny. And Amanda, that was perfect. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. It was great. And, and just like, and then the, you're the secretary and then they, which tied into the ending. It's like when you give me those details that I don't have to do it and then I can slot them into the thing that I already want to happen because of the one shot. It's just like, okay, let's meet the characters. Let's do some challenges. Let's take them to a different place. And then I knew that the twist at the end was going to happen. So I'm just like, boom, boom, boom. And then we can have fun world building together. I mean, D- DMing, when you do it like this, it's just just asking questions and you ask questions and then you have to roll with it and we're all very funny and creative so it all kind of worked out cool and the only spoily corners uh, for this episode are <laughs> whether uh, Tegan slash January slash Des are the night of mirrors so all we can say is who can say who can say if January is the night of mirrors I'm going to die <laughs> I will say to this end, the next episodes, like nine going forward, are some of my favorite episodes and sessions yeah. of Dungeons and Dragons I've ever played. This is what we were talking about. Nine going forward and then the one shot. I was so proud of me and all of us. And like this, it's going to be hot shit. I'm so fucking excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. Same. And yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we get the chance to do these after parties much closer to the release date instead of recording them like right after the session because we are probably three or four sessions ahead of what's airing at this point. So it's exciting for us that we know what's happening and uh, to be able to put them out. But that also allows us to address more contemporaneous 
you know, events and things that are going on in the broader kind of RPG community. And it's definitely been an eventful few weeks. Um, so we wanted to make sure just to kind of touch on that because this after party is not just about our show, but it's about the environment that our show takes place in. Yeah. So you might have seen a little while ago that we made a statement from the Join the Party Twitter and Instagram about our relationship to Dungeons and Dragons and the company Wizards of the Coast that publishes and is kind of runs the official Dungeons & Dragons. Like, they're the people who makes the Monster Manual and the DM's Guide, and also all of, like, the campaign modules you might see out there. Um, recently, they've kind of, to say it lightly, been stepping in it and have to, been doing a lot of stuff that have been really anathema to the work that we do here at Multitude. The way that we conduct ourselves, like, on a personal level, but also in society, which is a big deal and a, a, something that we need to do more than ever and just the way that 2020 has been shaking out. To this this point, Wizard of the Coast has been doing a lot of things that have really been bothering me personally, and I just wanted to quickly touch on a lot of this stuff. And like all this stuff has happened since the beginning of June. You saw that a lot of uh, places were making statements when the George Floyd protests were beginning to demonstrate their support of Black Lives Matter. Uh, but a lot of places, a lot of companies didn't mention black people at all, didn't mention the protests. And Wizard of the Coast was one of them. Um, the protest happened that weekend and they didn't make a statement until June 1st. That was that Wednesday. Uh, nowhere in there were black people mentioned. The company talks about donating to black centric charities, but doesn't say how much or why and doesn't talk about police brutality or George Floyd at all. Two weeks later, they talked about uh, steps they were going to make for diversity in Dungeons & Dragons, one of which is like the fantasy racism that we always talk about, how like orcs and drow, just because they're dark-skinned and coded like that in fantasy, they're automatically bad. They were said they were going to take steps to doing that. It felt like a lot of too little, too late sort of things. And then some other stuff started piling on. For example, in the DMs Guild, which is kind of like a marketplace that they run where people who aren't working for Wizards of the Coast can sell stuff. They removed an adventure called Curse of Hearts, which was kind of like sexually explicit, but had monsters that were like definitely obviously queer coded. And did Wizard of the Coast removed it, um, just saying that like because of the sexuality of that. But of course, there's a lot of stuff in Dungeons and Dragons in general that are also sexual, but are heterosexual coded. Because like we, you can see this harpy has like the curve of boobs and, and shows skin. So it's like, are they selectively uh, putting out the things that they think are sexually explicit or not? But they also decided to do that and not remove obviously racist material that others were selling and that they themselves still publish. Right, which is tied to, to another thing, which is they have a lot of legacy content that you can still buy online, one of which was Oriental Adventures, which was, as you might have guessed, some Asian pastiche stuff put together by white people. Although there is now a statement that they added on and didn't really tell people that it was happening, kind of like the, oh, this is from a different time. Uh, we don't, this doesn't reflect how we feel now. They are still selling it and it's still, they're still going to take your money from doing it. And then, notedly, or Orion Black, who's also known as Dungeon Commander, who made the game Plot Armor, which we played uh, in between the two campaigns. Uh, Orion Black worked for them and uh, had an incredibly terrible experience uh, as a black person being a part of Wizards of the Coast. Uh, we'll link to their statement. But there was a lot of just like... Things that I wouldn't be able to, no one should be able to deal with during their working time there. And then Wizard of the Coast tweeted out an apology to them and never reached out to them, which was a whole other thing and like super messy. So just the way that the company, Wizard of the Coast, is running their their business and how many missteps they've been doing since just in June, only six weeks ago, uh, has really been frustrating and is not something that we 
try to do in our own game in the way that we conduct ourselves. Like, Wizard of the Coast is not Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think about Wizard of the Coast a lot when I run our own games. We don't use the modules. And, like, yeah, we use the, the monster manual sometimes and things are, are straight. But, like, a company does not run the game that we run. And I think it was important for us not to condone the things out there and not recommend and continually plug the stuff that Wizard of the Coast makes. It was a really important issue to me, and I know that we're still going to play Dungeons and Dragons because this is our game. We just started this story, and we want to teach people how to play this game. But I don't feel like I can be a party to promoting Wizard of the Coast material on Join the Party after all of these things they've done. Because this isn't just one. It was important for me to lay all of this out, that these are like five or six things in a row that were reprehensible, and I can't get my head around why this is happening. Yeah, it's it's important to recognize that the the game is not just limited to like the canon and to the publisher. And everybody listening here knows this, that games are made at the table, not in the publishing house. Um, and so it's important to us to continue to take cues from the black and brown indigenous POC players in the broader tabletop and D&D community, um, because we are playing this game because we love in it. We believe in the community and we know that the community is holding each other to a higher standard than clearly the like guidance from the top. So, you know, companies put out statements because they're afraid of what people will say if they don't. And putting out inadequate statements that don't actually say anything is not an answer. So that's why it's important for us to address this and to, as a broader D&D and D&D podcasting community, continue to hold wizards accountable for the work that they still need to do, which is massive. And for anybody who wants to learn more and uh, to get some kind of recommended follows of Black people in the D&D community who are doing great reporting and leadership on these issues, we have a list in the description of this after party. So please give them a follow and go ahead and support with your money through patronage and through purchases, the art and the game design that these folks are doing. And in the Asian community, they really put themselves out and and we're exposed to a lot of the worst parts of the tabletop and D and D community. And we're, so we're pointing to them as well. Yeah. Go, go buy plot armor. As an example, we have a, we have Eric did a one shot of it. It was an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, RPG. Orion is so talented. And if you're losing them and treating them this poorly, like I don't know what you're doing. Like you obviously have all of your priorities fucked up. Well, that is all for us in today's After Party. Uh, We look forward to bringing another one to you next month for the next two episodes of our campaign. And uh, please go ahead and click those links and follow those artists in the description. Uh, That is how we make the gaming community better and more resilient, uh, which is through supporting with our dollars people whose work we want to see continue. Absolutely. And for sure, these next episodes, I'm very excited they're coming out. I'm so so stoked. (laughs) Me too. We'll see you then. Bye, guys. Later.